with you and you want to follow along, <clears throat> we're going to be in Job uh, chapter 1 again, verses 8 to 22. Uh, this is a, a part 2, a continuation of our lesson last week called the first test. The first test. Now, throughout the Bible, we are, there are various places where we're given glimpses into heaven. Uh, Isaiah, for example, saw, said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and seated on his throne. John the Revelator in Revelation several times, of course, sees into heaven. And we get different places like that. But in Job, we see something that is unique. As far as I know, there's nothing else like it in the Bible. And that is we are made privy to a specific conversation between God and Satan about a specific man. And we read this in verses 8 through 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But if you stretch out your hand and you touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan... Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him, uh, against his body. In other words, do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, I said last week, this is what we learned from this exchange. Satan does absolutely nothing outside of the will of God. Now, the Bible says he's a roaring lion. Satan has power. And he is a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. But he is a lion on a leash. That's a good thing for you to remember. He is a lion on a leash, and that leash is the sovereign will of God. Now, I back that up with a scripture from the New Testament. Luke 22, Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You see, Satan wanted to, to come against Peter, and he had to ask God, can I do that? And, of course, he was given permission because Jesus said, I have prayed for you that after that happens, your faith won't fail, and when you return, you'll strengthen your brothers. So we have two very clear scriptures here that Satan has to ask permission to tempt or to come against uh, the children of God. Now, as far as I'm aware, those are the only two places in the Bible where we are explicitly told that Satan has to ask permission or or. Or, or get God has to allow him to do things. However, there are numerous places in the Bible where this is alluded to. Let me give you an example. In 2 Samuel 24, David, King David, decides he's going to take a census of the people. In other words, just like we have censuses today in the U.S. every 10 years, he's going to count the people. And so he tells his director of his army, a guy by the name of Joab, to go do it. And Joab tries to talk him out of it, but he does it anyway. And, and in that day, a man could only count what belonged to him. This is why what he did was wrong, because the people of Israel didn't belong to him, they belonged to God. He had no right to count them up like they belonged to him. So after he got done, the Bible says his heart struck him, and David said to the Lord, I have sinned. Everybody see that? Pretty, pretty simple case of a man doing something wrong, uh, and he says, I was wrong, I sinned. In 1 Chronicles 21.1, which is the parallel uh, account of this, it says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. 
Well, that makes sense, right? David sinned. Satan tempted him to do it, and he did it. But in 2 Samuel 24, 1, it says, The anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David. Now, which one is it? Is it David? Is it Satan? Is it God? Well, here again, you see the scenario we've been talking about. Satan, God allows Satan to tempt David, and David falls into sin and admits, I did it, right? But you see this relationship, all, nothing is happening. That's not happening to David outside the permission of God. God is involved in that, right? Now, this, of course, raises all kind of questions. And I knew last week when I got done that I would have to have a second lesson this week to kind of address some of the questions. And then, of course, last Sunday, after our Bible study, we go into the service and Pastor Henry preaches on our authority to speak to the demonic in our, in our life, right? Everybody remember that? Well, I'm sitting there listening, I'm thinking, well, that's going to raise a lot of questions, Right? How does this all work together? And then last Sunday afternoon, I get a text from my mom, which tells you if you text me, it might end up in my lesson. So you need to be careful of that. But my mom texts me Sunday afternoon. She says, I would like to talk to you about how do you balance God's sovereignty and the attacks of the enemy and the warfare mentioned by Paul and Henry's message today. In other words, if God is allowing something, do you fight against it? That's a real good question, isn't it? How do, you, how do you balance those two things out? So I knew with all this, I would need to come back today and address some of these questions. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is not an easy subject. I've probably redone this lesson ten times. I've been up at least twice this week at three in the morning working on it. I don't claim to have all the answers. Um, but I do want to start by saying this. It is my responsibility to give you the whole picture. Too many people in Christianity only give you half the picture. And they only give you what fits into their little box. But that's not my job. My job is to give you the whole picture. I don't have all the answers. But yet, I, I've got to give you the whole picture of the Bible. I've got to give you all the scriptures. Now, let me start here. Last week, I introduced you something called dualism. Dualism is a belief that in the universe, there are two entities, good and evil, God and Satan, and they are equally powerful. They're fighting against one another. Sometimes God wins, sometimes the devil wins. Sometimes good wins, sometimes bad wins. But people see these two things as equally powerful. Now, I showed you last week that that is not true. It's completely false. It's unbiblical. It's a man-made teaching. But yet, it tends to be very attractive to people. And so you ask yourself the question, well, why would this be attractive to, to believe something like that? It's clearly, it's not in the Bible. Why would people want to believe that? Well, they like it because it's simple. It's really easy to wrap your mind around. For example, what people want to do is they want to create two boxes. One box is God, and that's all the good stuff. And the other box is the devil, and that's all the bad stuff. And it makes it really simple. When you go through something, if you consider it bad, you put it in the devil box. And if you consider it good, you put it in the God box. In other words, if we, some things we consider good, like health and prosperity and peace, well, that's, those are good things that got to be from God. But other things like sickness and poverty and adversity, we got to put them in the devil box because they're bad. Now, you should be able to look at those boxes. And if you got any sense at all, you know life don't work that way. In fact, the Bible tells us that prosperity will grease the rails to hell for you, doesn't it? Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. 
Paul said, those who desire to be rich fall into many temptations and snares. Prosperity will... I, I'm not going to send you to hell, but it'll sure grease the rails for you. On the same, at the same time, if you look over in the other box, sickness and poverty have turned many a man and woman to God. Yes? Peril of the prodigal son. We talked about that last week. Sometimes sickness and poverty will humble you and turn you to God. So you can't just put things in a box and say good and bad. It's just life is not that simple. And let me tell you, God is certainly not that simple. In fact, God is wondrously complex. Paul said this in Romans eleven thirty three to 36 Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. You cannot put Him in a box. You won't put Him in a box. But too many people just try to do that. And I'm going to show you today, it just doesn't work that way. Now, let's start with a, a, a question and see if we can answer this. When adversity comes into your life, where does it come from? Now, I use adversity in a very general term. Adversity could be sickness. It could be persecution. It could be a financial disaster. It could be a rebellious child. It could be a relation. Everybody with me? Very, very general. Something comes into your life that you consider, quote, unquote, bad. But where does it come from? Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to take one example, and that's sickness. Not, I'm, again, I don't have time to cover all of them. I'm just going to pick one, and it's probably the most controversial. So I'll go, and, and we also have a lot of scriptures that deal with it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this sickness as this one example uh, of adversity. So when sickness comes into your life, where does it come from? Well, I'm going to give you three places, and we'll talk about all three. Number one, sickness can come from what I just call, uh, it just, it's just natural. In other words, it, call, it comes from fallen we, the fact that we live in a fallen universe and we live in fallen bodies. Number two, sickness can come from Satan, but only with the allowance or the permission of God. And then the third one, which is the most controversial, would be, okay, well, can God allow it to come? Will God bring it into your life? And I put a question mark by that one because I want to I focus on that one a little bit this morning. So let's look at all three. First of all, sickness can come into your life through fallen world and fallen bodies. Paul says this in Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility and in bondage to corruption. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. And in 2 Corinthians, he says, our outer self is wasting away. What he's saying here is we live in a corrupted universe. And not only do we live in a corrupted universe, we live in corrupted bodies. Our bodies are, are, are wasting away. They're, they're, they're kind of falling apart, so to speak, right? Coughs, colds, and cancer. Listen, they're just, they are natural occurrences in this world. They are going to happen. Let me put it this way. If you took Satan completely out of the picture, you're still going to get sick. Think about it that way. You're still going to get sick. Genetic problems are just a part of the fallen world. Viruses, all these things are just part of this fallen world. You're still going to get sick. In, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this. He says, Timothy, no longer drink only water but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, remember, in that day, you really had two things to drink, water and wine. There's no refrigerators. You can't stop at Winn-Dixie and pick up Powerades or anything like that, right? Water and wine. And water was notoriously, there's no, I mean, it's like us going to another country. They, we all, they always tell you what? Don't drink the water, right? Don't drink the water because water can be unpurified. and it can cause. If you drink the water some places, you're going to have stomach problems. 
Well, Paul writes to Timothy and says, don't drink only water, but drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. And look what he says, your frequent ailments. Now, Timothy evidently had stomach problems. And not just once, but he had, had it all the time. Now, what's important about that scripture is not what it says, it's what it doesn't say. He didn't say, Timothy, you need to rebuke the devil. He didn't say, Timothy, you need to call for the elders, did he? He almost acts like it's normal, doesn't he? Almost like, look, we run into these things, Timothy. Do this. So these things are going to happen. You're going to get colds. You're going to get those kind of things. It's just part of of this fallen universe that not every sickness is an attack of the enemy. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes it just, it just happens, and we need to remember that. But I want to point something else out to you. John 11 says, Jesus says this. Now, these are the words of Jesus. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Now, Jesus is he's, he's teaching, and it's almost like he looks for a... Pastor Henry Wednesday night talked about object lessons. It's almost like he looked for something. What is the most minute thing I can think of? And he says, two sparrows sold for a penny. And he says, not one of them falls off a limb and dies apart from the will of your father. If God is sovereign over the sparrow, let me tell you, God is sovereign over your cold. So, so even in this natural world, even over the little things that happen, God is, is still being allowed by him, even if we don't understand. Stand it. Number two, Satan. Luke 13, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching. And he, it, the, Luke tells us there was a woman there and she had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over. She was a hunchback. She couldn't straighten up. And Jesus sees her there in the synagogue and he calls her over. And she comes over to him and he says, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he lays his hands on her and she straightens up. And she is perfectly healed. And the leader of the synagogue, the rabbi, the, the main pastor, he, he gets indignant about it. And he calls the people and he says, Listen, you got six days to be healed. Come on one of those six days, but don't do it on the Sabbath. I mean, can you imagine? How, how heartless can somebody like that be? And the Lord answered him, he says, You hypocrites, don't you even untie your donkey on the Sabbath and lead him to water? How much more should this daughter of Abraham, and watch what it says, whom Satan bound for 18 years. So Jesus tells us specifically that Satan was the cause for that sickness. Acts 10.38, it says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were what? Oppressed by the devil. And of course, next week in Job chapter 2, we'll see this. Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord and he strikes Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So there's no doubt scripturally that sometimes sickness comes from Satan. So sometimes it's just a natural occurrence in a fallen world. Sometimes it's attack of Satan. Now, here's the third one and the most controversial. Some people would not even go here. I, I can show you teachers right now. They'll say, if you get sick, it's Satan. If you get sick, it's Satan. Really? Let's look at a few other scriptures. Exodus 4.11, Then the Lord said to him, talking about Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? God said what? It's me. I do that. God has no trouble telling you I'm in control of these things. 
In 2 Chronicles 26, there's a king by the name of Uzziah. He goes into the temple and he's lighting incense. And that's a job for only the priest. And the priest rises up against him and said, you can't do that. And he gets angry and immediately leprosy breaks out on his head. That, that was a, obviously a judgment for sin, right? I mean, obviously he's doing what he's not supposed to do. And God brought that on him. In 2 Kings 15, it doesn't even let us guess. There's another king by the name of Azariah. And it says, the Lord touched the king and he was a leper till the day he died. Who brought the leprosy on him? God said, I did that. Daniel 4.28 Nebuchadnezzar's up on a rooftop. He's, uh, he's talking. He's like, man, I got this great kingdom. I'm this great king. He's going on and on about this. And it says a voice from heaven came down and said, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. You're going to dwell out in the field like an ox and you're going to greet, eat grass like a cow. In other words, you're going you're to be mentally ill. Now, I don't think Satan's calling out from heaven. That seems to me pretty obvious that that's God himself going to bring that back. Now, a lot of people would say, well, okay, but that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. You don't see anything like that in the New Testament. Really? John 11, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. And he says to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then later when he dies, Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now, here's what we know. Do I know, was this sickness natural? Don't know. Was this sickness from Satan, from God? Doesn't tell us, does it? But I can tell you what it was for. It was to bring glory to God and to build faith in his disciples. Now, are you telling me that Satan brings sickness to bring glory to God? That ain't happening. Satan's not interested in that at all. Only God would be interested in allowing something that would bring glory to him. So I think this is clearly something that he allows. John 9. Jesus and his disciples are walking. Uh, he, see, he sees a man that's been blind from birth. He's out there begging on the side of the road. Remember in that day, it was a bad time, man. You didn't have no welfare, no, no social construct that helped people. If you, if you were disabled, you begged. That's all you could do. So he passes by a man who was born blind from birth, and his disciples ask him, good, they're, they're good Job's friends, they believe you reap what you sow. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, somebody did something. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not the cause of this. It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The whole purpose of what happened is that God would be glorified. Now, we may say, well, who made this man blind? We already answered that question, didn't we? Exodus 4.11, God, I do that. I do that. And you may say to me, well, that was when Jesus was walking on the earth. That was before he went to the cross and, 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 and everything there. Okay. Acts 12, 21 to 23. On an appointed day, Herod delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten with worms and died. I mean, it don't even give us a... Give us a we don't have to guess, do we? Who struck him down? The angel of God. It was a judgment for the pride in his, in his life. And you may say, well, that was an unbeliever. <laughs> okay. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are sick and some of you have died. These are Christian believers coming to the Lord's Supper and eating it frivolously. 
eating it frivolously, and God says, that's why some of you are sick. That's judgment of God on, on sin. Now again, how is he allowing it to happen? It doesn't tells us, it tell us, but it's pretty clear that God himself is behind it. So I believe the Bible teaches us that adversity can come from a fallen world and fallen bodies. Not every sickness or adversity is attack of Satan. Sometimes we live in a, we're a bunch of selfish people living in a fallen world. We're going to have relationship problems. We're gonna, it's just going to happen. Adversity can come from Satan when it's allowed by God, and adversity can come from God sometimes for various reasons. Now, what would those reasons be? Well, we've already seen judgment against sin. You've seen that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes he brings things as a testament to his glory. he's, He's doing something to glorify himself. Sometimes it's to test you. Sometimes it's to purify you. Sometimes it's so that once you, once you come through it, you can turn around and comfort others. Corinthians tells us that. And sometimes God is just doing something that's so beyond your understanding, you got no clue. But He's got reasons. Now, I want to, so I've laid that out. Now I want to show you a specific case from the Bible. If you got your Bibles, I want you to look this up and I want you to bookmark it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Because I want you to come back to this later, and I want you to read it, and I want you to digest it, and I want you to meditate on it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Now, when this chapter opens, Paul is telling about a man, and he's talking about himself, who went to heaven. And he says, man, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I got no clue. But he said, I saw things there that I can't talk about. I, I, I saw things so incredible He said, I'm not allowed to even explain them to you. I'm not allowed to repeat them to you, okay? So that's, he's been taken to heaven. He's been given these great revelations. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it starts this. Paul says this, So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. In other words, when somebody is given something like that, it's natural for us to feel pride. Well, look at me. I mean, I must be, I'm special. God, God did this for me. Look at me, I'm great. And so Paul says that, God knew, okay, this is a natural thing that's going to happen. So Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, what happened? A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And then he says it again, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now here's the question, who gave Paul the thorn in the flesh? Well, the answer to that is easy because, the, because of the purpose of the thorn. The purpose of the thorn is what? To, to keep him humble, to keep pride out of his life, to keep him from sinning. Let me tell you, Satan is not interested at all in making you humble. Satan's not interested at all in keeping sin out of your life. That's not him. This is a God thing. That's God's purpose. God is the one who allowed the messenger of Satan to come into his life to harass him. Okay, Now listen, we've seen a lot of purposes of God for allowing things in our life, but this is something new. God allows Satan to harass Paul in order to keep him from sin. And, and the, pride, the sin is the sin of pride. Now, now listen, this is what's so amazing about this. Don't miss what this means. God is using demons to thwart the father of demons. God is using Satan to defeat the purposes of Satan. You don't put this God in a box. Satan is a lion on the leash and God uses him 
to fulfill his purposes and his will. You don't put this God in a box and say, oh, these things have to be... No. No, it don't work that way. And by the way, we'll come back to this in a minute, but this is not a unique example. He did it with Judas. Satan entered into Judas, Luke 22. Judas betrays Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross and dies. Satan is thinking, wow, I I have won it. I, I, I I finally beat him. Colossians 2.14 says, What came of the, of, the, of the crucifixion? He says, He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, and He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame. He used Satan to shame Satan. He used Satan to shame Satan. This is the kind of God that we, we serve. By the way, this is exactly what's happening in the first chapter of Job. He's allowing Satan to come against Job. And, and, and Satan's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy his fate. He's going to curse God. But what ends up happening? He comes through it. He's got, Job has got stronger faith. After it's over, God is glorified. And you and I, 3,500 years stand, are being encouraged by what he did. He used Satan to defeat Satan. You see this all throughout history. God uses Satan in the service of salvation. Sometimes we don't even notice it. Here's a, here's a, a, a scripture, 2 Corinthians 2, 10-11. Watch what Paul says. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now watch what he says. In order that Satan might not outwit us. One of the motivations, Paul says, for forgiving is so that Satan won't have something to use against you. Once again, God is using Satan in the service of salvation. It's actually a motivation to forgive. So, see, I wonder sometimes, why does he let Satan do everything he has, but he's got a part that he has to play? He's got a part that he has to play in bringing us to heaven and conforming us to the image of his Son. And God just uses him. Now, here's the $64,000 question that everybody has. You ready? Something happens to me. Something I consider quote-unquote bad. Adversity. How do I know where it's coming from? That's the question. Are you all ready? This is going to blow your mind. You ready? I got no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Either I'm not spiritual enough or smart enough. I see people all the time, and they're, they're, every time you turn around, man, the demons are at me. God, Satan's after me. And I'm thinking, how do, you, how do you know that? How do you know this ain't just a natural thing? How do you know God didn't allow this in your life to do? How do you know that? I don't know it. Now, like I said, I may not be smart enough and I may not be spiritual enough, but my, I think a lot of people really don't know it. They're just trying to put those things in their little boxes. Are you with me? It's bad, therefore it must be Satan. And they miss so much because they never look for what's behind it. They never look to see that maybe God is doing something here. I want to give you four thoughts this morning. Not answers, because I don't have a lot of answers, but I do want to give you four thoughts that's helped me and I hope it will help you. First of all is the word parasmos, the Greek word parasmos. Let me tell you how this is going to help you. A test in the Bible is a difficult situation that's intended to strengthen our faith. Everybody with me? God will test you. He will allow things in your life that is in its purpose is to strengthen your faith. We saw that with Paul, didn't we? Okay? Because its intention is good, is to glorify God or build character or or whatever, we know that that comes from God. So we call it a test, or maybe we call it a trial. James talks about this in James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet 
trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And when endurance has its full effect, you may be complete and like. Everybody see that? I want you to understand that. God allows things in your life, but it's a test of you, and the whole point is to build endurance, to build godly character so that you can make it. That's called a test or a, a trial. James says that. See, God will test His people by allowing them to go through trials that will test the quality and sincerity of your faith. He, he purifies us. He strengthens us. He matures us. He, he leads us into a deeper walk with Him. Those are called trials or, or tests. What's a temptation? A temptation is a difficult situation in, intended to entice us to evil. See, because its intention is evil, we know it doesn't come from God, it comes from Satan. This is what James says. Let nobody say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God never allows anything in your life to seduce you to commit evil or entice... Everybody with me? His purpose is always for good. Satan's is always for, for evil. That's the difference between test and temptation. Now, this is what's interesting. We have two different words... But the Greek language doesn't have two different words. It's only got one word, and that word is parasmos. You see, parasmos simply means to test. It reminded me when I was putting this together of... Uh, I watch some of them cop shows sometimes, and they, they have these drug field tests, right? And they'll, they'll find drugs in somebody's car, and they'll, they'll take it on the hood, and they'll, they'll put a little drop in it. And if it turns one color, it's, you know, it's cocaine. If it turns another color, it's flour or something like that. You know, it... See, the test is not negative or positive, right? The test is neutral. The test just reveals what's already there. See, that's what parasmos means. In other words, difficult situations come into your life, sicknesses, trials, adversity, persecution. And here's the key. They can be both at the very same time. I want you to think about this for a second. Everything that, every adversity comes into your life can be a test and a temptation. Let's take sickness, once again, as just one example of adversity. Let's say the doctor diagnoses you with some disease. Okay? Is that a test or is it a temptation? Well, see, immediately some people just take it and put it in that devil box. It's, this, is, this is bad. This is a temptation. And, he, and that, by the way, it can be both. Satan can take that sickness and he's trying to, to, to entice you to destroy your faith, deny God... But God will use that exact same situation because the situation itself is just neutral. It's just trying to reveal what's already there inside of you. And so what He does is He takes that same situation and He's trying to build your faith. He's trying to build endurance. So it's both at the exact same time. I want you to look at Job. We see it in Job, right? Job is, is, comes through all these adversities. He comes through all this... Uh, uh, he's going to be struck with loathsome sores. And it is a temptation by Satan to get him to curse God. But at the same time, it's a test by God of Job's faith. And it's meant to strengthen his faith, bring glory to God, and encourage you and me. Everybody with me? It's not one or the other. It's both at the exact same time. One thing that helps me is spending, instead of trying to spend my energy trying to figure out where it's coming from, I try to remember this. Every test is a temptation and every temptation is a test. And I think that just helps. It doesn't try to qualify everything and put this in this box and that in that box. Just remember, every temptation is a test and every test 
is a temptation. Number two, obey the word. Listen, this is what we all want to know, right? Is it, okay, we don't, is it God? Is it not God? Is it Satan? Is it, what, what's going on here? Well, listen, I don't really care. If something comes into my life, I'm going to obey the word. If I get a headache, I spend very little time figuring out where the headache come from. I just go get a Tylenol. Yes? I don't really care where it came from. I'm just looking for relief. Obey the word. Listen, if you, listen to James 5. Is anyone among you suffering with an attack of the enemy? Let him pray. Is that what it says? No. It says, anybody suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, we always focus on the middle one, but if you read that all in context, it's telling you there's three things for you to do. You can pray for yourself, you can pray for one another, and you can let the elders pray for you. But the point is, pray. If, I, if something comes into my life, if it's a financial problem or a sickness or a relationship issue or persecution, let me tell you, the first thing I'm going to do is not wonder where it come from. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. James 4, 7 says this, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God never says, now you need to figure this whole thing out. No. If the devil's involved, resist him. Don't just lay down and take it. Resist him. Uh, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 10, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Ephesians 6, 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Even as God is, God may be allowing, like He did with Paul, He may be allowing Satan to come into your life. But even as He does that, He expects you to fight. Don't ever think, well, I, you know, this might be God, I'm just going to take. No, fight, resist. That's what He tells you to do. And you may say, why? Because there's something about the fight that changes you. There's something about the resistance that, that, that builds endurance in you and strengthens your faith. It, it makes you better, stronger, wiser. Let, let's go back to, to Paul for here just a second. Here's number three thought. Seek the Lord. Okay, here's where I, here's where I get it. Remember Paul's story. I want to go back to that. Paul is taken up into heaven. He sees these visions and he's, he's got an inclination, as we all do, to become proud. So God allows a messenger of Satan a demon to come into his life, right? And it says to keep me from becoming conceited. The purpose of that was good. So we know it was God. Now, what does Paul do? What does Paul do? 2 Corinthians 12, 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord that I should, this thing should leave me. What does he do? He prays, doesn't he? He resists. I, I can just see Paul sitting there thinking, Man, I, I got I got ministry to do. I got to be traveling over to Ephesus next week, and and this thing is I, I got to get rid of this thing. This thing is bad. It's holding me back. I got I got to get this thing off of me. Yes. And so he prays, and he prays one time, and nothing happens. And he prays another time, and nothing happens. And he prays a third time, and nothing happens. What's going on here? Look at verse nine. God answers him after the third time, and he says. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, when, when Paul gets this word from God, that changes everything. All of a sudden, the whole tenor of the situation changes. Paul realizes, oh, what's going on here? It's not just about me. 
And it's not even about Satan. We're just, we're just bit players in this, in this thing. What's going on here is the manifestation of the grace and power of Christ. That's what this is all about. This is about more than just my little struggle. My body, my soul is a theater for Christ's glory. Now watch what he says, verse 9 and 10. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, he says, I am happy. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities, sickness. I'll take it all if Christ is glorified. You see how it changes everything? Listen, you have obeyed the Word of God. Adversity's come into your life. You've obeyed the Word of God. You've prayed. You've resisted the enemy. You've done everything. Listen to me. If at some point, and I can't tell you what that point is, but if some point that thing hasn't left, then you need to conclude that God is bringing it into your life for another purpose. See, so many people miss this. They just keep going on and on and rebuking and and all this stuff. And at some point you need to realize, okay, that's what Paul did. But after three times, God said, no, I've brought this into your life for something I'm doing, Paul. And Paul said, oh, oh, okay. I'm okay with it then. See, we need to to be people like that. If we've done, if we've obeyed the Word of God, if we've done what we're supposed to do, if at some point it doesn't leave, then we need to seek God and say, God, what is this about? Let Him give you an answer. It could very well be that He's allowing it for His glory. He's allowing it to build your character. He's allowing it to do something really good. Psalms 119, we see this with David. David said this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. See, here affliction, uh, David said it was good. It brought about something good in my life. I got one more thought, and this is truly a thought. This is not an answer for anything. I just something I want you to think about between now and next week. And that is the example of Job. Two of Job's calamities come through people. You remember the Sabians attacked and the, and the uh, Chaldeans attacked and killed a bunch of his animals? Two of them come through weather. As far as we know, it was probably lightning and, and a tornado. So two come through people and two come through weather. Now, Satan, he doesn't know it, but Satan is behind all of it, right? We know that. So the cause is natural or, or the, and, and the cause is Satan. We know that. Listen to what Job says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave it all to me, and the Lord took it all away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, and he did not charge God with wrong. Here's what I want you to see about Job. Job's first inclination, his first inclination when adversity came into his life, he said, this is God. That's his very first inclination. He he doesn't even seem to consider that he should blame the weather or that he should blame people, those those desert raiders, or that he should maybe blame his servants for not being good enough watchers or good enough fighters. He doesn't even consider any of that. All the secondary causes just vanish. He says, it was the Lord who gave it all to me and it was the Lord who took it away. And by the way, the Bible says he's right. He's right. That's what he said. He didn't sin. He didn't charge God with wrong. God says he's exactly right. Now here's my thought that I want to leave us with today. When adversity comes into our life, why are we not more like Job? 
Why is our very first inclination when anything bad comes into our life to automatically see Satan? Why is that? Why are we not more inclined to see God? I don't have an answer for that. Like I said, it's just a thought. Why are we not more like Job? Why is our first inclination to see the hand of Satan and not the hand of, of God? And this is a good segue into our lesson next week. We're not done with the first chapter yet. Um, verses 20 to 22 deserve their own lesson, and that is uh, Job's reaction. Let's pray.